Listeners, and welcome to a spectacular. That's what we call it when every now and again Brian and I get together to look back, look ahead, slice and dice the episode by some metrics, and then hand out some Oscars style awards of the films that we've watched over the past set of episodes. So, this is for our 150th episode. I can't believe it, Brian. 150. That's right, the sesquicentana said. Oh, man. Sesquicentana... Say it again? Sesquicentana said. Okay, yeah. Good word there. Excellent word. This spectacular is a little bit different because we're looking back on 50 episodes instead of 25 episodes. So for 25, 50, 75, and 100, we were looking back on 25 episodes. Now we're looking back on twice as many and... The change is that we're looking at about a year's worth of coverage instead of about six months worth of coverage. Right. After episode 100, we decided it would probably be a little more comfortable, just a little more natural to do it once a year. Yeah. Which I think is good in some ways, although I was looking back on some of our episodes and there are some that are like a year old that I barely remember what we said about some of the movies, you know? I don't know if you had any of that as you were looking back on our our episodes. Well, like in our 100th Spectacular, we had episodes in the works because it was Christmas time. And back the last 100, it was like October. I mean, we, we waited a little bit past the number until we did our review. So we are like four episodes past 150 now. So I've got wise men dancing in my head. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. So like as far back as I remember well is not even within consideration. That's a good point. Because the things freshest on our mind will be eligible for the 200th episode spectacular in a year. I might be able to squeeze you in two years from now, whoopee. (laughs) That one not eligible for this spectacular. That would have been our first 25. That's from Pee Wee's Christmas special. Right. We've been doing this a long time. Yeah. Crazy. So that, that brings us at more than three years. We started back a few months into the pandemic, September 2020. And now here we are at the start of 2024. A lot has changed in the world and in our lives, I would say, Brian, although many things have stayed the same too. So 
Um, what are some of the things you've been thinking about over the past year and looking ahead for the next year or 50 episodes, if that is the unit by which you want to measure time? Right. Yeah, it's all about the pod. That's the real important thing in our lives is this podcast. But yeah, so the last year, I suppose, has been eventful. I'm doing a graduate program uh, with the goal of getting more into the post-production industry. And I've also been doing some drone camera work and getting paid for that and and teaching as I've kind of done all along. Uh, Podcast-wise, I thought we had some good theme months. We had our double-decker Movies About Making Movies months. You know, it's been fun doing these with you so reliably for so long. And we're certainly never going to run out of movies. So we can keep this train rolling. <laughs> We did have train month. That was, I don't know if that was intentionally a train month reference. What about you, Dan? What are, what are your thoughts looking back on the year we've just had? 2023 was not quite as consequential for me as 2022 in some ways. Because in last year I moved and my daughter started kindergarten, which felt like the end of one era and a start of another. 2023 was mostly just kind of iterating and, and building on stuff. But the big thing that happened, of course, I talked about my, my dad passing away and how that kind of shaped my whole year. And some positive things, uh, I was selected for the OFCS, Online Film Critics Society, which was one of a small handful of goals I ever set for myself. That's something that would be really special. Um, and so I was I was super excited to, to be selected for that. And then I worked really hard scaling up my my writing and then just being consistent on the podcast. And I think we've gotten better on the podcast, too. I, I listened to some of our episodes from the past year, and I think, you know, I think we got the hang of what we're doing, at least more so than we have in the past. Always room to improve and expand our skills and our, our wit and our insight. So. But, you know, just always, always trying to, to connect more with the listeners. I think our Discord really became a major outlet for me over the past year. And that, that was a big win from the podcast perspective. And I, it's made it really valuable. I can't remember exactly when we started it. It might have been before the last Spectacular. But I feel like it's we've had more people join. And it's it's been a great way to post multimedia and then connect with people. A couple randos have found us and joined us there. So... That's been fun for me, Brian. Yeah, that's my favorite part is the multimedia. Drop the pictures and the video links and the music. Anything we want to highlight that may exist outside the fringes of the film itself. And so what about looking ahead, Brian? What What's on your mind for the next year? Well, the very next thing that we'll do is going to have another birthday episode for me. Fourth birthday on the pod. And that should be fun. Then we will most likely, if things proceed as they have in the past, we'll probably have a theme month around about February or maybe March. Probably another one sometime towards the end of the summer. And I've got some movies still on my list of things to get to eventually, but I think there will also be some, some wiggle room. Some of those rare moments when I pick a movie that I haven't seen before. And just get to one that I think I would maybe be interested to watch. What about you, Dan? Plans for the year ahead? 
vis-a-vis the podcast or other aspects of your life? So I think the big thing is to just keep on keeping on with definitely keeping up the weekly podcast. I mean, that's kind of the architecture around which I build my movie watching and thinking about movies and talking about movies. So definitely keeping it up and bringing in some fresh picks. Um, I want to bring in, like you said, even more things that I've been hoping to see. I was kind of hesitant, gun shy to bring in acclaimed movies that I had never seen before. I only did that a, a couple of times. I did bring in plenty of great movies and beloved movies, but there are a lot of movies that like I want to watch that I've just been hesitant to bring in because I don't know exactly why. Maybe because you only get to see a great movie for the first time once and I want to make sure I'm in a good place to like really think about and discuss the the film, but definitely bringing a few more of those in and I'd like to do a couple more experiments with our format i have a couple of ideas on things we could try you know more or less i feel like we we know what we're doing week to week but bringing some new stuff in there i think would be fun i've been listening to a lot of the big picture podcast and they do movie drafts and i don't want to steal their format exactly but i think there's room for some some drafts i think we tried that one time with the um christmas carol songs in our very first christmas carol episode but like another draft, I think would be fun. And then I have one or two other uh, little ideas that, of things we could try. So I think I think that too. And I have a couple other goals for the my movie reviews website, but I don't need to go on too much about them here. Just continuing to do that and getting better at everything I do is, is always my goal. So any other thoughts looking back, looking forward before I jump into the numbers, Brian? Well, I've just always appreciated that this podcast is kind of a great equalizer. At least that's how I see it. It's it's tit for tat. It's quid pro quo. I put up a movie. You put up a movie. And there's something zen about that. It's a good system. Justice. It's all things equal. Right. Let's take a look at our last 50 episodes by the numbers. So first... In our 50 episodes, we actually discussed and rated, by my count, 95 different things, Brian. That means we were almost, on average, picking two per episode. We had a couple of four-parters in there, which really beefed up the numbers. Yeah, it made it really hard going back and picking out things for our awards that we'll have at the end of the show tonight. Yeah, yeah. I I had some on on that, too. Um, So... By my count, we watched and discussed 77 feature-length films, six shorts, three TV specials, two TV episodes, two VHS-based games, one podcast episode, one YouTube series, one social media platform, one novella, and one TV series. So... I think if you add all that up, hopefully that comes out to 95. We're really becoming a multimedia experience. I was surprised how much variety there was in the format. I feel like that's more than even it's twice as many episodes as last Spectaculars. I feel like it's more than twice as many multimedia selections. So that was pretty fun. One thing we did a good job of this year was stretching out our time range. So our oldest movies... Now, in the past, our top three oldest movies have frequently included like 50s and 60s movies. Here, our three oldest movies were 
The General from 1926, The Great Train Robbery from 1903, and the oldest movie we picked was from the year that cinema was birthed by the common definition. 1895, we watched Arrival of a Train, which is one of the Lumiere shorts. Not from their very first night screening shorts, actualities, but within a year of that. But it was essential for train month. Of course. We had to we had to have Arrival of a Train and Great Train Robbery in there if we were going to talk about the history of trains within cinema. So and then for the newest films, we had two movies we watched from 2022. That was Babylon and Spirited. And then we had two movies from this year. Well, actually this year. Now it's twenty last year, 2023. And that was Indiana Jones 5, Dial of Destiny and Asteroid City, the Wes Anderson joint. Now, taking a look at our ratings on the Is It Good scale, out of 95 things, we had an exact match on 32, which is almost exactly one-third of those things, Brian, which is, I think, a little less than some of our past spectaculars. We kind of tend to converge as we discuss stuff, but that's still a lot. (laughs) Right. I think the very first one we did, there was a lot of overlap, like the 25th episode one i feel like there was a ton of same ratings now another thing that we match here is biggest disparity and there were two where we had a difference in four is it good points so remember that's our eight point goodness scale so four it's a pretty wide gap means one of us definitely gave it a thumbs up and one of us definitely gave it a thumbs down so one of those was The Room, which I gave a five good to, which is maybe dubious. I mean, it's like praising it as a unintentional comedy and like avant-garde piece of what the fuckery. But you gave it a one, uh, very not good, which I will admit I'm still a little surprised on because just prior to that, you had given Plan 9 from Outer Space, which I view in a similar realm. I think you gave it a five, Brian. So to me, that's like... I guess you're looking at those two different types of bad movies in different ways. Well, we know that those can kind of be outliers for us. Like George of the Jungle 2 got a five from you. So I don't know. I'll hold those fives to throw into the mix sometimes, even for weird, canonically bad, so bad they're good films. I don't know. I feel like it would almost be a disservice to give The Room anything but a one. But... Also, longtime listeners will note that the spectaculars are when we have the chance to have a mulligan and we can re-rate things if we were visited by ghosts in the night and decided we've made a mistake. Great point. And maybe I'm stepping on your toes here for, I guess we'll see. And then the one other one that we had a, a difference of four on is one that will appear in my top five and not in Brian's top five. Uh, I gave it an eight and Brian gave it a four. So we will be talking about that one in a bit now looking at our most acclaimed and least acclaimed given just how many films there are streamline this a little bit in terms of most acclaimed so at first glance brian you may have i'm going to scroll through one more time but i only saw one best picture winner from this batch and that was greatest show on earth did i miss any other best pictures singing in the rain didn't win it i think that's correct none of the stars are born did Lincoln? Lincoln didn't, did it? No. And The Greatest Show on Earth, ironically, it, well, it's not going to be my pick for best movie that we watched. Yeah. Did, did Chuck E. Cheese in the Galaxy 5000? I'm just kidding. 
but if you want to look in terms of like enduring critical regard, I, I like to refer to They Shoot Pictures, Don't They, which is a online resource that aggregates all sorts of best ever lists. We had four films ranked in the top 50 all time on that list. Eight and a half at number seven, Singing in the Rain at number 11, Mulholland Drive at number 30, and The General at number 50. Wow. Well, we'll see how those hold up when we get to our top five movies. Indeed. Our big award of the night. And then for least acclaimed films, three movies that show up on the list of movies often regarded as the worst, and that would be The Room, After Last Season, which Gargus brought on the pod, and of course, the granddaddy of them all, Plan 9 from Outer Space. So there we go. With 96 things, I didn't do too much of a deep dive on the longest and shortest like I I had a lot of fun with in previous Spectaculars. But at first glance, the longest individual thing that we reviewed was A Star is Born from 1954. This excludes the Recess TV series, um, which we kind of reviewed as a series. And I don't know how you put a a timestamp on a novella, so I didn't include that either. But a Star is Born, I had it 154 minutes. That's two hours and 34 minutes. Greatest show on earth, just a minute less than that, 153 minutes. Wow. And then the shortest, I don't know if you can beat Vine. We talked about Vine, and those are all six seconds. So I'm going to say that any one of the Vines we talked about was the shortest thing. In terms of our Is It Good ratings, just looking at how those stack up overall, Brian gave an average of a 5.06. So that's almost exactly a good, a 5 out of 8. And I gave a 5.11. So just a sliver of a notch higher on average than Brian. I was slightly more generous than Brian. Heck, you could you could use the room as the, the difference maker there, but probably a couple others too. A, a single grain of rice can tip the scale. Exactly. Yes, for reference, I had six eights and five ones in this batch of 96. I gave out 16 sevens. Holy cow. But you had a lot more ones. You had five ones, and I only had two ones. But I was heavier on the threes. I had 13 threes, and you only had nine of those. But you had a pretty even split across four, five, six, and seven, Brian, whereas I... I 24 of 96 I had at a, at a clean five, good. And that, that was the, the most common for me. Anyways, just a couple other factoids here. So we had, by my count, seven episodes on which we had guests. Gargus on two episodes, Gavin on an episode. I was surprised to see just one episode of this 50, although he snuck in right after the 150 cutoff. Will appeared twice, once with his anime platter and once for the VHS board game night. And Katie, my wife, joined for that as well. Uh, Then we had Thrash. He doesn't go by Thrash professionally. I call him Thrash because that's his username on a bunch of stuff. His name is Andrew Milne, but I call him Thrash to to differentiate from the other Andrew, who is your brother, who appears. They both appeared for one episode. Uh, Thrash joined for 
a look at the Undisputed series, which was four movies. And your brother joined when we talked about the Chuck E. Cheese Zoom Gas movie. So it's a Motley crew. Yeah. Christmas Carol expert Ben Stanley is just outside the purview of what we're talking about. Well, that's a great point because I didn't count the interview. We did have Jason Kulas, the star of After Last Season. I talked to him and released that discussion as an episode as well. Now, you weren't on that, but it was still on the, the goods feed. After we watched After Last Season, we had the actor from that movie talk with us about it. So that was another guest of sorts. Right, right. And I guess in that mode of thinking, Ben Stanley was part of episode 150. Mm, good point. Throw him in the discussion. Throw him on there. And one last thing. Our listeners grew again in 2023, which is always exciting and encouraging to know that we're reaching more people. We're just short of 9,000 listeners in the history of the show. By my measurement, 8,891 listeners. That doesn't include our YouTube listeners, which would put us probably past 9,000, but probably not up to 10,000. And then our most popular episode from this set of 50 is the Jason Kulas interview. We had 161 downloads on that. And then our top 25 favorite films, which was kind of a bonus that was tacked on to the episode 100. If you count that as part of this batch, then that was our second most popular at 92 downloads. Wow. The Jason Kulas that took off. Yeah. But Brian, for whatever reason... No episode has come close to our most popular episode ever, the Cirque de Freak episode. For whatever reason, that's been downloaded 735 times. Oh my god. I do not know why. That's like pushing 10% of all of our episode streams, just the one dumbass Cirque de Freak episode. I can't tell you why. We got some sort of SEO or something on that. People love Darren Shan. The people need a sequel. Maybe. Maybe we can get one of the actors or something. No, because that was a real Hollywood thing. None of those people would bother with us. Uh, I think we've paid enough lip service to John C. Riley that he owes us one. Does he? I, I don't think he does. But I think we're ready for our awards section, Brian. Is there anything else you want to throw on here? Any other thoughts before we dive into our Oscars? No, I think I'm ready to give out our awards, our goodies, or whatever we've decided to call them it's been a long time since we've even had this discussion i liked the good z's and you thought that was dumb and i think you're right that it's dumb so we can let's stick with the goodies for now there's some there's there's some there's a ring to that it's still not locked into stone good z's is just hard to say it's like thought <laughs> so the goodies are are sort of oscars where we talk about things that we've done and movies we've watched in the past 50 episodes so the first batch of these are what we call our meta awards. So these are the, are the ones where we talk about our podcast specifically, as opposed to the movies we discussed in the podcast. So Brian, first award, favorite running gag during these past 50 episodes. What was your favorite running gag from these past 50 episodes? Okay, so this one... It may be a letdown to some because I think I've used it before, but my favorite recurring element, favorite trend in the show is that Dan is always going to watch 
comprehensive coverage of whatever we're talking about. Like, he's never going to just jump in on a second movie in a franchise. He's got to watch the background and and the, get the context. That's true. I'm not sure I'll ever top Thanksgiving when I had COVID and I watched something like 30 Tom Hanks movies so that I could say I had seen every single Tom Hanks movie. But I am kind of a compulsive completionist when it comes to watching um, for me, my favorite running gag was how we just kept expanding the scope of movies about making movies month. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we ended up like saying, well, you know, if you think about it, other episodes that were before it kind of were part of the month. So, for example, we, we discussed Babylon and Singing in the Rain before we did movies about making movies month. And those are two movies very much about making movies. So... If you count that, then across our theme month, which again is normally five episodes and so five movies, we ended up picking 25 movies specifically in movies about making movies month that ended up spanning nine different episodes or 10 if you include the backdoor pilot and probably more ones that we found thematic links to. Wow, 25, a full quarter, even a little over a quarter of the whole year's worth of stuff. Was just ma'am, us going ma'am. That was a good topic, I think. Yeah. Provided a good material for discussion. So, Brian, what was your favorite line or moment by the other co-host being me in the funny category from the past 50 episodes? I think this is the hardest award for me to give out just because I got to think back on a whole lot of discussion. We've had, you know nearly maybe a hundred hours of discussion in these 50 episodes. So it can be hard to remember specific lines, but there were episodes where I thought our discussion was, was good. It was cycling. We were vibing. The energy was up and the humor emerged from the, the banter. And I got an honorable mention and the real winner. And from here on out, most of my, Awards are going to be that way. So honorable mention is going to go to our discussion of the logistics in Thomas and the Magic Railroad. Just how that whole thing is working. You had a lot of funny lines. I feel like I probably had funny lines too. But I guess especially like talking about how Conductor Jr. is a gold dust addict. I think you had some funny things to say about that. But I'm glad. Okay, and then the real winner for this one, funniest thing that Dan got me laughing at, was when he basically said, what the hell is Manon in the craft, the demonic entity that the witch girls worship? Yeah, we were baffled on that one. I think Gavin ended up following up with us, and what did he say about it? He said, Manon is a perfectly ordinary girl's name in France. Looks like they were going for Mammon, M-A-M-M-O-N, a term mentioned in the Gospels, which became a demonic name. It is just a common Aramaic term for money or wealth. Okay, so it's, it is nothing. It is made up and stupid. So that's all right. Yeah, just almost something. <laughs> for me... I didn't have a runner-up on your remarks once, Brian. I apologize. But for me, the my favorite moment... I mean, honestly, I could have put it in both funny and insight. But 
when you were just ripping on Shakespeare and Hamlet in our Hamlet episode, um, when we were had Gargas on and we're talking about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, your Shakespeare takes are just some of some of my favorite takes of yours, and and how Hamlet himself is a total idiot, and how the only reason Shakespeare is popular is because he's in the public domain, which is a really bold take, and I admire it and enjoy it. <laughs> What do they say in Rage of the Lost Ark? Buried in the sand for a thousand years, it becomes priceless. And now, favorite line or moment by the other co-host in the insight category. So we had some episodes where we got into some heavy topics and had some good discussion about that. So my honorable mention is going to go to our episode Digging Deep, where we covered the Raiders of the Lost Ark and the whole... Indiana Jones franchise, as well as Raiders of the Lost Ark, the adaptation. And we talked about, is it worth it to pour your life into a creative project that nobody's going to see or experience or care about? And it was sort of the whole thing, a metaphor for being more than 100 episodes deep on a podcast with a small, albeit devoted listenership. I thought that was quite good. And then the winner of this point for insightful discussion by the co-host is when you talked about your dad in our episode, Thanks, Dad, and we covered parenthood. I think it took a lot for you to share that with us, and I appreciate that you're able to be open. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I was glad to be able to to share that. And thank you for, for saying that. I, I really appreciate it. So, Brian, I kind of had a hard time coming up with, like, what was the right pick for yours? Because honestly, a lot of, like, what you've kind of opened my mind to and and shown some appreciation for has just been your selection of things and, and the love you bring for for them, or at least the idiosyncratic appreciation like i'm thinking about zombies how me liking zombies and or i should say us liking zombies has become one of our things us liking milo manheim has become one of our things and for me what what really struck me just really like having a capacity to love cinema and really there was a lot of things around movies about making movie month and two episodes that were i don't think they were quite back to back but they were uh, right around the same time. One was the Indiana Jones episode, that's digging deep that you talked about. And one was um, in the Pee Wee's episode with eight and a half, um, where you kind of saw some interesting connections there that I didn't really see myself, honestly, between Pee Wee's and eight and a half. But the thing that kind of tied all of them together is, first of all, inspiring a love of movies and just like the experience of consuming cinema and how meaningful it is to us. And also how we kind of refract these things and use them as inspirations in the things that we make. Just hearing you talk about how important Indiana Jones was for you as an inspiration, and then also about how much Pee Wee was an influence on you in making Gauntly. I mean, that's one of the reasons I think the movies about making Movies Month was such a rich month for us is it was fun movies, but also kind of let us do some reflection as we went. So I'll say the kind of broadly that talking about how some of these movies were really formative on you, specifically Indiana Jones and, and Pee Wee's Big Adventure, I found very insightful and I really appreciated hearing about that. So 
Um, and then there's so many movies that you brought on that I just hold close to my heart now after we talked about them, but you shared them with me, like the Chuck E. Cheese movie with uh, some that will probably come up here in our, our upcoming awards. So. Right. It's going to get some awards. So moving on to favorite episode title. So Brian, early in the, the show's run, like maybe two or three episodes in, Brian said, we got to have episode titles. We can't just call the podcast episode the name of the movie that we talked about. We got to have a, a pithy one-liner for the title. And I was like, all right, we can do that. So I've always struggled with these. I'm usually the one who plugs them in. So in some ways, they're like I'm the one making the final call, though I'll often bring in Brian's perspective. But Brian, what were your favorite episode titles from these 50? We had some good ones in this batch. But I'm going to give honorable mention to Schrodinger's Glock, <laughs> the title of our Wes Anderson discussion, which is kind of a dual tribute because in Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, Bill Murray gives everybody guns. Everybody on his crew has to have a gun and he calls them Glocks. But then also during our discussion, Dan made a reference to Schrodinger's gun or something. I, I believe he meant Chekhov's gun, but... I thought that was funny. So it's 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 a dense title. You got, you know, <laughs> multiple things contributing to what makes it so good. But the winner for me is going to be Thanks Dad as the title that went with our parenthood discussion. Cool. What about you? What you got? So my my favorite episode titles are ones that come from something that was said on the pod but also capture the essence of our discussion. And so my my runner up pick was Flotilla of Lemons from Used Cars, which is how you described the late scenes in that movie when they have a lot of cars driving around. It's just a beautiful turn of phrase and kind of represents the charm of that film, which is that it is like a wacky black comedy, but it also has the Zemeckis practical effects in there. Yeah, it was a big climax They've got this like corral of a hundred cars, but my favorite, the best ones are it's, it's uncommon, but it, it happens every now and again when something you say enters my vocabulary, Brian, and with Mulholland drive, you uttered the line, gotta have a goblin. And that's something I've said so many times since whenever I encounter a strange person or, or something causing chaos, I just shake my head and say, gotta have a goblin. <laughs> Now, as for our favorite actual episode, what did you pick for our favorite episode of this last 50? Okay, so honorable mention. Actually, both of these are just going to match up with the insightful moments. So honorable mention goes to Digging Deep, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the adaptation discussion. And the winner is going to be the Parenthood app. Thanks, Dad. What did you pick? Special shout out to getting to talk with Jason Kulas, the... Uh, actor on after last season it was unique in a bunch of different ways first of all he's never given an interview or recorded podcast on his experience with that movie and so i thought it was cool that we got to kind of hear a perspective that's really never been heard anywhere else and share that with the world but another one that that turned out really well was our vhs game night one um, I got a couple. Actually, got a couple of people tell me out of band that they thought that that was a really fun listen. You got a sense of us just hanging out and playing the VHS board game, 
and I thought that was that was good. But my official runner-up is um, I really enjoyed our discussion on The Nightmare Before Christmas. I think it's good when we both know a movie pretty well. We kind of tend to have slightly more flowing conversations on the movie because we've, you know, we spend more years thinking about it and stuff. And we also had some some fun, jokey conversation in that. So I thought that was just a, a well-rounded episode for us, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, but my favorite, I picked The Raiders of the Lost Ark, the adaptation, because that both had us kind of talking about the nature of creating art, but it also just had us plowing through talking about the Indiana Jones series and giving our rapid fire reviews and ratings on that, which was just so much fun. And I really enjoyed recording that one and editing that one. So uh, that's Raiders of the Last Lost Ark, the adaptation episode, Digging Deep, as my pick. Cool. Then we got a bit of consensus there. Yeah. All right. So now on to the actual movie portion. So this is kind of more like a typical award show, just the, the movies themselves. So um, the first category we have is biggest surprise. So what was the biggest surprise for you? All right. So there were some surprising movies, some movies that we watched that you wouldn't know from one moment to the next what was going to happen. My honorable mention for biggest surprise goes to Parenthood because I really had no perceptions and it turned out to be pretty good. But my winner for biggest surprise is after last season, which was just the most bonkers film just about that I've seen. I mean, it's all a hallucination, I guess. There's like a ghost pushing chairs around and there's a cardboard MRI machine. Like, it's one extended dream sequence where they're just lapsing through a really poor, minimalist CGI fantasy. Really weird. What surprised you this past year, Dan? So my runner-up for this one is The Court Jester. I expected I'd probably like it, but I was surprised how much I liked it. Very funny, very charming, extremely witty musical that I knew was important to Brian, and I had hoped I would like, and I really did like it. It, uh, it was just so funny and clever that that was a big surprise just how much I got out of that. And then for me, also shout out to how much I laughed playing Nightmare, the VHS board game. That's not my pick, but I'm just tossing that out there. But um, my selection for biggest surprise is The House of Small Cubes, which is the short that Will brought onto the pod for us to brought me to, to tears. And I, I didn't it's it's probably the most taken off guard that I've been by anything that we watched, hence picking it as the biggest surprise. So that that's my my pick for biggest surprise. Moving on to best scene, Brian. Out of out of the ninety six movies across fifty episodes, what was the best scene in your opinion? Well, Dan, there's a lot of scenes in ninety six movies. <laughs> there's a lot. There are a lot. Yeah. So a lot of possibilities we could have gone with here. A lot of great like climaxes and funny scenes and reveals and openers. But both of mine that I picked are endings or climaxes. My honorable mention is the climax of The Train from 1964. Uh, from about the moment that Labiche, the Burt Lancaster character, has sabotaged the tracks and the train just slides off 
and the Nazi guy goes crazy because he has no options left. And then they finally have like the, the shootout and Labiche finishes him off and just kind of walks off into the distance. I thought it was a great cap to that movie. But my big winner, best scene of all of these, is the ending from The Raiders of the Lost Ark. I gave it a lot of love at the time. That's where they're shoving the Ark in a crate away into a corner of an endless infinite warehouse just piled high with other mysterious crates, suggesting that the mysteries go on and on forever and just feels powerful and epic. What scene were you on, Dan? So my runner-up is actually your winner. So my my runner-up, I was actually toggling between two. Also, the, the last couple minutes of House of Small Cubes was the other one. There's so many scenes. Like, I couldn't even know where to start. Like, I could choose any of the movies I liked and pick a, a great one. But I, I did have the... Um, oh, no, I ended up writing down the beginning because I think both the the ending and the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark are terrific. But the first 12 minutes that open Raiders are just so perfect, so iconic. So I actually, I guess I ended up landing on the the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark as my runner-up. And as for my winner, actual winner, from That Thing You Do, the totally heartwarming moment when they all hear their song on the radio for the first time. One of my favorite movie scenes, period. Just joy popping off the screen. You can't help but feel joyful with them as this ragtag group hears their song on the radio for the first time. Cool. Well, we also have a Best Music Moment Award, so I'm wondering what that's going to be for you. Yeah, that's a good point. I I ended up picking this for scene instead of musical moment because it's kind of a nuanced thing, but it's not about the music itself. The music itself is not what brings the emotion and joy of the scene. It's the, what the characters are doing their reaction to hearing the music and you can't even hear the music like that's there you hear they're talking and cheering more than you hear the music so to me that was more about the scene i did have that penciled in at one point in the best musical moment but i decided it fit better in the scene category but that's a good call a lot of my favorite scenes included music like honestly even the raiders stuff it's got john williams score in the background you know so it's like kind of hard to separate that out too for sure but there you go um Best line or quote. Now, I would say there are a lot of lines, even more lines than scenes in 96 movies. Right. A ton of lines. So really, you could point probably to other movies listeners and say, well, what about that? And we will just not have thought of that because this scope is colossal. But my honorable mention for best line goes broadly to Ray Bradbury's narration in The Halloween Tree. And one bit that I singled out is he says, and he's describing the sugar skulls in Mexico on Day of the Dead. He says, hold the dark holiday in your palms, bite it, swallow it and survive. Come out the far black tunnel of Halloween and be glad you are alive. Lovely. But then the big winner is get that in you from (laughs) Final Flesh. Which is what one of the actors says when they see somebody else eating chili. They say, mm, yeah, get that in you. <laughs> and so now sometimes when I'm eating, which happens frequently because you need to do it to stay alive, as Ray Bradbury would tell you, I think, get that in you. 
<laughs> and what lines jumped off the script page to you, Dan? So many. Um, I, I thought of a lot of them. One shout out. I almost picked this as the runner up just because it, it made me smile so much and maybe it, sh it should be my runner up, but leave your stupid comments in your pocket from the room, which just baffling selection of words and a baffling delivery. <laughs> that was on my short list. And then one that I felt didn't have quite enough meat on it is the repeated use of this is the girl in Mulholland Drive. I use this is the blank all the time. I've used it in my reviews that I write. I use it just like when I'm talking about something, this is the blank. It's a great format for like pointing out something that's special. But my runner up is just thinking back on the court jester and all the wordplay in it. The one that I remember and I couldn't find all of it in like a single continuous line, but when they're talking about the pellet with the poison. So the one that I wrote down here is, the pellet with the poisons and the vessel with the pestle. The chalice from the palace has the brew that is true. And they're like frantically trying to remember this because it's going to determine whether or not they die. And it's just very funny the way that it all pieces together. But the playful cadence of, of that wordplay definitely got to me. Right. If we were given out an Oscar for best screenplay, I would give it to Court Jester. I like how the whole thing is written and executed even more so than any one line. Got another runner up for you, Brian. To be or not to be. Billy Shakespeare wrote that one. <laughs> Hamlet. Ever heard of it? That's right. Yeah. So adapted screenplay, right? Yeah. Did you know, we might have talked about this. Kenneth Branagh got the adapted screenplay nomination for using the entire script. Like, how does using all of Hamlet, him adapting it? It's kind of a silly nomination. I don't know. It is really strange, but yeah, I, I would think he wouldn't get the writing award for that, but like the directing. Sure. Why not? Yeah. My, my actual uh, favorite quote comes from the Anthropocene reviewed, which is a podcast. Specifically, we talked about the Auld Lang Syne episode um, where John Green narrates an essay he wrote basically combining his reflections on his mentor who passed away from cancer, as well as the writing and spread of the song Auld Lang Syne for New Year's. And the moment where he recites, we're here because we're here, because we're here, because we're here, the final time in that episode um, has never once not had me like, incapacitated with tears it's like up there with the end of toy story 3 in terms of things that will reduce me into a puddle every single time so that's my pick we're here because we're here because we're here because we're here he actually sings it for the very last time through and yeah it always gets me so that's best line or quote best musical moment brian so what did you have well i had the john green Old Lang Syne on my short list for musical moments, but we had a lot of music once again in this batch. It wasn't quite as music dense, I feel, as the last grouping that we had, but we just had so many movies that we watched. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned Indiana Jones, like that whole score is good. We watched all of those. Um, 
we had singing in the rain in this batch. We had Henry and Henry's kitchen singing nobody's birthday, but mine, <laughs> but I've got two honorable mentions. The honorable mention that probably should deserve an honorable mention is the first performance of that thing you do at the talent show where they're kind of ramping up and it's taken everybody by surprise and it's kind of finding its identity. But what I'm actually going to give the honorable mention to is Zoom Gas from <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese and the Galaxy 5000. So good. Where Peter and Ivan, the interstellar racing lunkheads, are huffing the Zoom Gas, which makes you go fast. Zoom Gas. Yeah. Great pick. But then my winner for the best musical moment, and here it's as much the moment as the music, is the opening sequence from Nightmare Before Christmas, This is Halloween, where we're kind of flying in with the camera through this Halloween parade that the whole town is putting on. And you're meeting Jack Skellington and seeing what his whole world is about. And it's all rendered in this masterful, creepy stop motion. Really good way to start the film. Yeah, as kind of already mentioned, my best lines and quotes, best musical moments, best scenes, all kind of merged together. I had a long list for a lot of these things. And I think you could swap them from one to the other. Like the that thing you do per first performance, probably I, I could just as well have it on this list. Honestly, it might be more meaningful to me than the ones on here, but just kind of shuffling, getting everything in a category that I think really makes sense and, and fits exactly what the category is. So for me, the runner up, I actually have make them laugh from um, singing in the rain, which is the astoundingly terrific and funny number um, where Donald O'Connor does some of the most ridiculous stunts you've ever seen. He does I think two flips in a single take. I mean, it, and it's just, it's just a very zesty fun song that to me is kind of the peak of why you would watch a musical like that. Just the otherworldly triple threat talent on screen. Um, but the winner for me, and this I actually felt pretty easy about um, given this one because it's chills every single time and honestly could have made it a favorite scene instead of a favorite musical moment. But that is, the first performance of Shallow from the 2018 Star is Born. And that's when Bradley Cooper has brought Lady Gaga to his concert and is going to perform a song that she wrote and encourages her to come out on stage and perform with him. And she does. And it's, it's a very touching moment. So that's what I got. Good selections. All right, next up we have a movie that we would rate lower. So a movie that looking back on our 50 ratings, as you put it, we get a chance for a mulligan. So something that we may be rated too high that we would bump down a rating. So what is that for you, Brian? So I gave The Greatest Show on Earth a five out of eight, a good, I think that's a little too high think I'll probably give that one a four in the big scheme of things. How much do these really matter? But it is our, it is our chance to do a mea culpa. 
And yeah, for a best picture, it's nothing to write home about. What about you, Dan? Something that you would bump down the ladder a bit. So I bounced around on this one a whole lot. I was thinking maybe the House of Small Cubes, which I gave a rare masterpiece rating to. Every movie I've ever given a masterpiece rating to is really one that's like deep in my soul and like prominent on my favorite films list. And House of Small Cubes isn't quite there, but I was just so taken with it in the moment that I ended up giving it a masterpiece rating. And I think I would kind of have it at the bottom of the masterpiece rating. But when I I watched it again in preparation for this episode, I still responded very strongly to the ending. Still very moved by it. Still love its style. I don't want to call it out as in any negative terms. So I'm going to leave it at the eight on that one. And instead, the one that I am going to bump down is... I actually kind of struggled picking one that I would bump down just because I actually, I don't mind really any of my ratings. I look back at all of them and I feel pretty solid in them. I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm going to bump down the Halloween tree novella from a five down to a four. As I've thought back on the Halloween tree, I've really only thought about the special at all. The novella itself didn't really leave as much of an impression on me as just the way that it kind of unspooled visually, um, particularly the opening of that. It's not actively bad, but given that I gave both of them a five, it feels appropriate that the special would get the higher rating than the novella by Ray Bradbury. So I'm going to go ahead and, and bump Halloween Tree novella down just in order to kind of shout out that I really appreciate that the Halloween Tree short. And so, Brian, what's a movie or selection you would rate higher? You would give a, a higher rating on our Is It Good scale, too. So I was looking back at my list, and like Dan said, I think we're to the point where we pretty much know what a 5 is for us, and what a 3 is for us, and what a 7 is. So our ratings, they feel for the most part right. But the one that jumped out at me was I gave a 1 to the first Halloween Town movie. And I don't remember exactly where that came from. There's not a lot to the movie. It really is a lot of people like walking around a town square. But I didn't feel a year removed from this film, any like maliciousness toward it. I didn't feel like it shouldn't exist. So I'm going to give it a two. I'm going to bump it up just a hair. There we go. It's no longer very not good. It's just not good. Right. For me, I actually had more that I felt like I was a little too harsh on than ones I felt like I was a little too generous towards. I had a couple of candidates that I I was thinking about, but I'm actually going to land on the 2018 A Star is Born. I gave it a good. And for whatever reason, this one has just really lingered with me. I think I was thinking about it a lot with Bradley Cooper's second movie just came out. That is Maestro and just how much more emotionally resonant A Star is Born than Maestro ever was. So I'm going to go ahead and give the 2018 Star is Born from barely below the 5-6 line to barely above the 5-6 line and, and let that one land with a very good instead of a good. Cool. That is my mulligan. Although, hold that thought. I wonder if there will be another mulligan of sorts that will be shouted out by the end of this episode. Ooh, I'm curious. 
let's move on to worst actor or actress. So what is the worst performance of these 96 before we get into the bests? Now, as Dan said a little while ago, we had three of the movies considered the worst, as Wikipedia dubs them. So we had a fair few choices in this batch that we could select as the worst actor. Actually, Tommy Wiseau was not even on my short list. My honorable mention, and it pains me a little bit because apparently he's getting us all our listeners, Jason Kulis, along with Peggy McClellan as Matthew and Sarah from after last season, the central pair who's sitting there having their VR low-res daydream. But then the one who really ran away with it, who is the actor who should know better, is Peter Fonda as Burnett Stone in Thomas and the Magic Railroad, who is just phoning this in, living in his train cave, being an old weirdo. And and really just, like, not even as interesting as that might sound. He looked entirely spaced out. Okay, so that's that's my choices, Dan. So I actually had a hard time with this, and part of that is, like you said, Tommy Wiseau, I, I don't have it in me to say that his performance is the worst because it's so damn funny. How could you not enjoy watching his utterly batshit line readings? I mean, it may be, like, not technically good acting as they teach it in schools, but... If you're making me laugh that much, you're doing something right. So uh, he's nowhere near the the list for me. And honestly, that goes for some of the Plan 9 stuff, some of the, you know, any of the the bad movies, the, the canonically bad movies that we talked about, their charms for me prevent them from being worst on the list. I actually don't have a runner-up, and my selection is indeed Peter Fonda. When I was reading through these, I was like, do I remember any particularly bad performances? And like that one just hopped off the screen at me when I was like, oh, God damn it, Peter Fonda. He, like, I don't know if he was on some sort of like quaalude or if he was just like trying so hard to get to the end of the take before he like actively rolled his eyes and stepped off stage and started smoking a cigarette. You know, that's kind of <laughs> what I was thinking. Now, moving on to best actor. So this is the best actor in the 96 things that we talked about. Who do you have, Brian? Okay. So we watched a lot of movies. They had a lot of actors. I had a short list of like five people. The honorable, honorable mention. So the second runner up, if you will, I wanted to shout out Winanti Nosul as the gatekeeper from Nightmare, the VHS board game. Uh, but my real honorable mention, the one that's worthy of praise, I feel, is Henry Phillips as himself in Henry's Kitchen. It's kind of a existentialist, depressing, one-man show. And he manages to make it really funny, too. But the winner, best actor... I'm going to give it to the guy who actually won the Best Actor Oscar. It's Daniel Day-Lewis as Abraham Lincoln in Lincoln. Good performance. Uh, transforms, disappears into the character. And sells that he is the 16th president. 
Okay, Dan. Give it to me. Best actor. I had uh, a long list as well. A lot of great ones. I actually think actress was even more of a bumper crop this time, but actor definitely had a lot of great ones. You hit two of the three that I was going to shout out, and that includes the gatekeeper, so I won't mention him. But just, I wasn't sure if you were going to mention either of these guys, so I will. Johnny Depp and Ed Wood, very good. Uh, Bill Murray in Life Aquatic, one of his best performances ever, I would say. But my runner-up is actually Paul Rubens in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Now, for this award, I sometimes try to think about, like, who is most irreplaceable? Who takes something and brings it to the biggest level? Which is not necessarily, like, the way that a lot of people would use best actor, but that's sometimes how I think about it. Like, you know, when I had... um, Jack Black in School of Rock, because no one else could do that, you know, and he made it so fun and so good. That's kind of how Paul Rubens is. You can't have Pee-wee's Big Adventure without Pee-wee. Paul Rubens, one of a kind, one of one. Rest in peace. This is another one that I mentioned that a lot of your insight just comes from your selections and your appreciation, Brian, and your appreciation of Pee-wee has rubbed off on me. He's so funny. He got such a unique energy and screen presence. I got Paul Rubens as my runner-up. My winner, though, and this is almost too canonical, Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. Uh, in particular, I'm, I'm selecting his performance in Temple of Doom, where he gets to play evil for a while, and he's just a fucking specimen in that movie. He's so good in that. And he gets to do his weird stuff in Temple of Doom. I think that's maybe his best performance period for Harrison Ford. So that's my pick for best actor. Really good choice as well having me reconsider but yeah now moving on to best actress and this is like i said there is a bumper crop and so i had a really long list and i i brought myself down to two but what about you brian who who do you have for best actress okay i also brought it down to two i'm gonna give my honorable mention to glennis johns as gene in the court jester she had a big meaty part and made the most of it. She's always clever. She's always one step ahead of all the bumblers and she's really pulling the strings and like, is the one character who always knows what's going on. Also, Glynis Johns like just passed away in the last week or so at the age of a hundred. So shout out to Glynis Johns, but the winner of best actress for me, I'm giving it to Judy Garland from the 1954 version of A Star is Born, where she played Esther Blodgett slash Vicky Lester. Just a powerhouse performance, really gets to show off her vocals. And I thought it was memorable. Okay, what were the two that you winnowed it to? Well, even after I said I had just two, I should have looked closely, because my runner-up, I actually had two names written as a tie for runner-up. So I guess I actually have three. My tie for his runner-up is Naomi Watts in Mulholland Drive, who gives a really terrific and invigorating performance that is especially impressive because she has to play essentially two different characters and two different realities and have them both be completely convincing, but also like sort of compatible in a kind of way. Just a terrific, terrific performance. My co-runner-up is Celia Johnson, an absolutely heartbreaking role in Brief Encounter. Terrific work by her. Just really tugs your heartstrings. Her face is so expressive. 
captures so many complex thoughts and feelings with great subtlety too. But I also have Judy Garland as the winner. Does it all. She sings, she dances, she pops off the screen, she breaks your heart. One of the great performances, period. She's my best actress. Now, moving on to the best and worst movie titles, Brian. We brought this in as a category because we always have big feelings about titles. So what do you have as the best and worst titles? Okay. My honorable mention for worst title is It's Christmas Carol. (laughs) But the one I think is the worst just because it tells you very little. I mean, it kind of works. It doesn't exactly infuriate me, but it's just it's vague is eight and a half by Federico Fellini. It just refers to it being not quite his ninth film because it's like pensive and up its own butt and doesn't know what the movie should be about. But yeah, that title, like unless critics had put it on their best movies ever list, you would never pick it up. Okay, Dan, what title grinds your gears? So for worst titles, shout out to what I had as honorable mention best and worst title, which is, in fact, It's Christmas, Carol. Oh, my gosh. I'll say now (laughs) that that's honorable mention for best title for me. Uh, Sorry if I stole your thunder there. We're simpatico. Yeah. But my runner up for worst title is I actually have two here. These are two movies that what bothers me about the title is that it tells you what it's about, but it doesn't tell you the essence of what it's about. And that is Train to Busan and also Ed Wood. Both of those, they're not inaccurate titles and they're not undescriptive titles, but they both don't tell you like what is actually important about that movie. Train to Busan. Oh, yeah, it's about a train and it's important that it gets to Busan. Hmm. Is there anything important about that train that we might have left out of it that would be good to know if you were considering watching this movie? Could it be that there are, in fact, zombies on this train to Busan? So that's one of mine. And then Ed Wood sounds like a really generic biopic when this is like up there with the least generic biopics. It's this totally arch style, exaggerated comic misadventures that is so much deeper and more compelling than a biopic that's just a, a name of a man when in fact it's more about how Edward was interesting, maybe less as a man and more as an icon and uh, an essence. And it's like not even a name that everybody's going to know. Exactly. So why make that the title? So those are my co-runners up, but I also have eight and a half as the worst. A, it doesn't tell you anything about the movie and it's kind of pretentious. B, he had terrific working titles that he cycled through on this one, and he landed on stupid eight and a half. So the working titles, we talked about The Beautiful Confusion, um, a couple other that he talked about. He was thinking about just calling it comedy, which probably would have been better than eight and a half, but still would have been really dumb. Okay, fine. But he was also looking at The Man Without Qualities, which would have been very interesting, too. So you had all these different ideas and things that you could mess with and you ended up on eight and a half, which like Brian said, tells you nothing about it. Love the movie, hate the title. So let's move to our best title. So Brian, what do you think is the best movie title that we, of one that we watched? All right, as I hinted, one last shout out to It's Christmas Carol. Uh, truly an all six reacts title. <laughs> but 
The one I think legitimately is the best title of this batch we considered is a movie that Gavin brought to our attention called Footnote about a father and son who are both Israeli Bible scholars and the father has like this inflated sense of self-importance but has really contributed very little to the scholarship and his son has done much more but there's like a whole generational thing that the son should be grateful and you know bend the knee to the father but he's surpassed him and the conflict that comes with that when truly all his work is boiled down to a footnote I thought that was the perfect thing to call it. Great pick. That was on my, like, I had like six that I thought were absolutely terrific this time around. And I even kind of excluded things that were just kind of iconic to me, like Raiders of the Lost Ark. But just limiting myself to two so we we don't ramble on too long here. Oh, you know what? When else are we going to get a chance to shout out these? I'll shout out a couple more of my favorites. Uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space, just, it tells you that it's cheesy, it tells you that it's it's going to be Cornball 50s sci-fi, and it's that on steroids. And it fills your mind with questions, because what are the other eight? Exactly. You're not going to find out. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, it's just, it kind of has an elegance to it that makes you want to know what that is. Like, it, it kind of sounds sort of fancy and intriguing. And I don't know if this qualifies as best or maybe worst, but I liked Trojan War, it's not too often you get product placement in the actual title of a film. I thought that was worthy of note. Also love Chuck E. Cheese in the Galaxy 5000. You immediately know whether or not you want to watch that movie when you see Chuck E. Cheese in the Galaxy 5000. Are you, do you want to watch a Chuck E. Cheese movie where they travel to outer space? Hell yes, I do. And if you do, that's what that movie delivers. So, But my, my actual runner-up is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead which is just a title that works on a bunch of different layers because on the one hand, it's actually a line from Hamlet. On another level, it's kind of like a statement about the actual nature of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And that whole movie is about like those characters interrogating their very essence, their, their natures. And Thirdly, it's just got kind of like a aggressiveness in, in the way that it kind of throws itself out there. Like saying that a character is dead in the title is just kind of intriguing. I think it's just kind of bold. So I really like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. But for me, the, the best title is a title so good that you just think of this title and you're like, that title is enough that I need to go and make the story that matches that title. And that is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Just so iconic. Um, so that that's my pick. For what it's worth, I think Chuck E. Cheese and the Galaxy 5000 kind of buries the lead a little bit because it doesn't tell you how much is going to hang on the attractiveness of the chicken woman. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese and the attractive chicken lady. <laughs> yeah. All right. Worst movie, Brian. So what was the worst movie out of the 96 things that we saw? So this short list was pretty compact. There were some standouts. My honorable mention goes to Thomas and the Magic Railroad, the Thomas the Tank Engine theatrical release movie 
that was like a hodgepodge of live action people riding the Thomas trains. It just didn't make any sense. Like the story developments and there's like parallel plots of things going on on Sodor and in the Shining Time Town. And just listen back to that episode because I'm not even going to try right now. But there's like a dog who leads her to the station, but it's not the one she was supposed to go to. It was a mess. There was magic dust. But the one that takes the cake for me as the worst movie of the whole year, and actually probably the worst movie I've ever seen, I never expected to go this low, is After Last Season, which Gargus brought to us. This, it's hard almost to even call it a movie. <laughs> it's like an experience. It's like an experiment. So that's my thought. What's the bottom of the barrel for you? So, Brian, we are completely simpatico. I have as the runner up Thomas and the Magic Railroad, which just is utterly incomprehensible. It had a little bit of charm to it, but... The, it was just, you couldn't follow it, and it had so much idiocy in it. And then, of course, the worst that we saw was after last season. But here's where we get tricky. I'm throwing that out the window, even though I just said it. For me, the worst movie that we watch, my goddamn least favorite movie, the one that makes me angriest, is freaking Train Spotting. I gave that motherfucker a three, and I should have given it a one, and I regret all my choices. That's my pick for actual worst movie that we picked. Train Spotting by Danny Boyle. I hate that stupid film. Okay. We're being real. We're opening the floodgates. That's good. You got to be honest here on this podcast. I mean, it's it's like a three slash a one because if I'm being trying to put on my objective critic's hat and like looking at it the way that people should look at movies... Okay, there is redeeming qualities to it, but no, it's it's a one. I'm sorry. I still vibe with the production design in that one, and it definitely has a style. You're not wrong. You're not but, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like progressively worse and worse things happening to trashy people in a filthy situation. Hope you like depravity. If you like depravity, you'll love train spotting. So. <laughs> And so now we're at the moment of truth. The top five best movies that we watched. Brian, I don't know about you, but I had some movies that I thought, I was like, oh, that'll sneak into my top five. And then I looked at it and I was like, god damn, we watched so many great movies. And this is really a murderer's row of top five. Right. Top five is really tight here where it wasn't just that we watched 50 movies instead of 25. We watched basically 100 movies instead of 25. So what do you have as the number five best movie that we watched out of these 96? Okay. Number five, I have Parenthood. It was certainly a pleasant surprise. It's a more complex and yet deft film than I expected. It's got many storylines at work, uh, but all the characters get development, get narrative justice. They just, they, they get their due and interesting things happen uh, that never stretch the bounds into like genre territory. It, it's a straight drama, but I enjoyed it. I would recommend it. What's your number five? So my one caveat is, just to make it a little bit easier, I ruled out anything that wasn't a feature-length movie. So 
I knocked out um, the Party Down episode, which I love. I knocked out uh, the House of Small Cubes, and I knocked out the John Green podcast episode, which is probably my favorite episode of any podcast ever. They just didn't feel like that we were looking at the same things as the feature length films. So I, I limited myself to feature length films. Okay, I followed the same rule. Sounds good. So I have it number five. I actually had a lot of movies that were vying for number five, but I landed on Singing in the Rain, the terrific musical often regarded as the best from the studio era of musicals. I still am figuring out exactly where high ranks on my pantheon of films, in part just because I'm not all that experienced with the studio era musicals. But this one is is really a showstopper. Just so many great songs and dance numbers and charm and comedy. And there's a couple of bits of the story that I'm not crazy about. And some of the pacing moments aren't there for me. But it's just uh, kind of overflowing with with terrific numbers and uh, delights. So that's what I have. Singing in the Rain at number five. What do you have at number four, Brian? Number four for me is The Cabin in the Woods, which is the meta cinema horror film horror film about horror films where making a horror movie is like a government ritual so it's a bureaucratic workplace basically this is the pete doctor movie treatment on the evil dead from sam raimi so i love this whole execution of this project but especially that monster mash at the end it just missed out on being my my favorite scene of the whole batch but when you got like the gross merman crawling around sputtering blood and there's clowns and there's like scarecrows and evil ballet dancers and it's just a monster mash for the ages really into this one okay dan number four so for me, all, all four of my remaining picks are in contrast to what I said about Singing in the Rain, where I'm still kind of placing it in my pantheon. These are all no doubters, hand to my heart, seared in my soul, all-time favorites. Just, just terrific, terrific masterpieces that mean so much to me. Number four, I actually have Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is a movie I absolutely love and... I don't even quite know why I felt compelled to put this fourth out of the four, but it is, like I said, one of my all-time favorites. Just a perfect piece of adventure movie construction with a just all-timer action scenes. The way that it's shot and edited, the one scene towards the climax where they're driving the vehicles and doing the chasing and everything is practical on the vehicles and you can follow it all and it feels so continuous... It's just the work of craftsmen at the peak of their power. And it just blows me away when I watch it. But, you know, every, it's, that's just like one piece of the Indiana Jones experience. There's the music, the characters, the way you get swept away in it all, um, all the little touches. What more can be said about Raiders of the Lost Ark? Number four for me. Brian, what do you have at number three? At number three, I have The Train. This was one that really surprised me. I didn't know anything about it going in other than it was at the top of what train magazines, greatest train films. Yeah. The train, the number one train film, according to train magazine. 
but it's great. It's about the high drama of war. It's these two men who are, are facing off in the the last moments of the war in Europe, World War II. This Nazi plunder train that's trying to take all the treasure into the continent as the Nazis are on the retreat. And this, like, clawing at each other as the, the, the wheels are coming off the bus. I just got really into it, and it's shot masterfully. It's this great black and white cinematography and all these moving shots where they've got the camera on trains and push carts and airplanes and it's just this big physical undertaking to have made this thing and i recommend it it's one that might not be on your radar but hopefully we put it there for my sibling gift exchange what we do is we put names in a hat and we pull them out and we let significant others be included in the sibling gift exchange. So I think we're up to 10 of us in it, or maybe 11 in us, of us or something. And I got uh, my little sister's boyfriend, who is uh, a bit of a film bro. Good dude. I follow him on Letterboxd. Uh, shout out Matthew. But because I, I had him, I I got him a bunch of different movie-related stuff for Christmas because he, he likes movies. The idea being I want to expand his horizons, get him to watch more old older movies and stuff. And one of the things I gave him was the Blu-ray of the train that I bought for this episode when we recorded it because I had already ripped the entire Blu-ray onto my hard drive. And so I was like, you know what? If it gets him to watch it, if I give him this Blu-ray, then it'll be worth it because you're right. It's one that needs to be seen by people. It's that I feel like. Maybe less so than the zombies, but telling people how great the train is has become one of my uh, missions and takeaways from the goods. So great pick is what I'm saying. What gets into the top three for you? At number three, I have Mulholland Drive, David Lynch's masterpiece. Just a movie that is so cleverly constructed and to me uses absurdism and a sense of dread so perfectly and tells an ambiguous Mobius strip of a story about a kind of dream world, Hollywood, and then kind of the dark, cynical flip side of that, that they they kind of end up tying together. Lots of weird imagery and, and uh, haunting moments in this. Uh, it's a strange drama with bits of comedy, but like absurdism comedy and terrific production design, but it's really just the feeling of it. The, the ineffable feeling of Mulholland Drive that makes it for me. One of my favorite films, as like I said, are, are all four, number four through one. But that's what I have at number three. Cool. What about number two for you, Brian? Number two, I have The Court Jester. This is one that I've been watching since I was like five years old. But it's gotten even better with time. It's genuinely funny. And I just have this big appreciation for how complex the the script is and yet makes it all look easy because it's this ensemble cast of all these, these people involved in the courtly intrigue in the castle and they all have distinct personalities and individual goals they're pursuing and the movie creates comedy through the conflicting goals and the conflicting understanding that the characters have of what even is going on just 
really well realized. Funny. The pellet in the poison is in the pellet with the paisley. Just remember that. <laughs> okay, Dan, what's in your top two? Great selection, Brian. My number two is Brief Encounter, the 1945 romantic drama, British film by David Lean. Just this absolutely heart-stopping, tragic romance about two people who find each other at the wrong place in the wrong time, but still fall for each other. And when you zoom out on it, it becomes a symbol of crumbling imperial England and its over-dependence on rigidity, which is visually captured by these trains in some of the most gorgeous black and white photography that you'll ever see. Just this swooning, woozy Rachmaninoff score and absolutely lights out performances, particularly Celia Johnson. Just an out-and-out masterpiece and one of my favorite movies. So... Uh, that is Brief Encounter. Okay, now for all the marbles. Here we are. Number one, favorite movie of the, of the 96 that we watched. Number one. What do you have, Brian? Number one. It's been talked about already. I'm giving it to Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first Indiana Jones film. This is one also that I've been watching a long time. I think I first saw it when I was eight. And it just is one of many that instilled the love for movies. Dan said it's everybody operating at the peak of their powers. And that goes beyond the director, beyond the actor. You got the composer, John Williams, even who's the cinematographer on these uh, Slocum. Yeah. Yeah. And it looks the like first three look totally different from the fourth and, and beyond. They just have a, a spirit that's in this original trilogy, but it all it all originates in Raiders. Even like Ben Burt going around and getting the sound effects that really make it immersive, like that sound when they lift the lid off the arc. And this was like the perfect moment in special effects history when you couldn't do it all on a computer. You were starting to be able to do it on a computer, and that was giving giving new powers to the filmmakers, but so much of it you still had to figure out, okay, well, what are we going to put in front of the camera that's going to create this look? So then it really feels like magic when suddenly the angels of death are pouring out of the arc, and people's heads are exploding and melting and sucking inside out. Really good one. I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. It made number two on my top 100 favorite films. So that's where it's at for me. Now, Dan, we're at the big one. I don't think it's going to be a surprise to anyone who has listened to our podcast very much. It's a movie I bring up all the time. It's a movie we spent not one, but two episodes talking about on my birthday. It's the movie that topped my list of favorite movies when we ranked our 100 favorite movies after our 100th episode about a year ago. It is Tom Hanks's directorial debut from 1996, That Thing You Do, about a one-hit wonder band from the 60s getting their rise and then their sort of fall. Although it's just such a nice film. It's so charming and fleet and friendly, and it's just a pleasure to spend time in. And if you want to hear what I love about it, it's the details, it's the mood, it's the big picture, 
It's the music. Oh my God, the music in this. It's just a whole universe of created pop that is like as good as real pop from the 60s. The title track, my favorite song from any movie ever, written by the late and great Adam Schlesinger. That is just an absolutely perfect piece of 60s garage pop. This movie brings me so much joy and happiness. And sometimes I feel a little bit silly that a movie that's such a trifle is my favorite. But then I watch it and I see how happy it makes me. And, you know, maybe it's not the achievement on a technical level that plenty of other films, including ones that I talked about already are, but it's, it's the movie that I love. It's my number one. And that is why I have it as the best movie that we watched of the past 50 episodes out of the 96 films, that thing you do. So I don't think anybody was too shocked by that one, but you know what? It's gotta be done. It's only appropriate that I have as my number one best and my worst as Movies that I have long said are my favorite and my least favorite films. So there you go. There you go. A last little bit of record keeping that I didn't want to reveal before now, just to not spoil anything. But here are the selections for the 16 Club, as I call it. That's something where we both gave the selection an 8 out of 8, a tour to good masterpiece rating. So we both gave the episode of The Anthropocene Reviewed an 8 out of 8, and we also both gave Raiders of the Lost Ark an 8. And those joined past inductees into the 16 Club. Barton vs. Winona State, the basketball game clip I brought for, for an April Fool's Day episode, as well as Groundhog Day and Gravity Falls. Our 15 Club selections, we had four this time. That means one of us gave it an 8 out of 8, and one of us gave it a 7 out of 8. That would be Recess, the TV show, That Thing You Do, The Train, and The Court Jester. And that joins Titanic, Iron Giant, Boogie Nights, Parasite, and 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. Both Parasite and 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T I give an asterisk to because they needed the mulligan, the, the rating upgrade to get there. And then the other films that got an 8 out of 8 this time around that the other person didn't give it a 7 or an 8, figured you might want to know what other masterpieces that we watched, at least in the opinion of me or Brian. I gave Brief Encounter an 8, as well as House of Small Cubes, and Brian gave Cabin in the Woods and Vincent an 8 out of 8. We also had two entries into the 2 Club, These are films we both gave the one out of eight, very not good rating to. And that was after last season and Thomas and the Magic Railroad. Both of us shouted that out among our worst movies, of course. They actually joined just one other movie in the show's history, and that is Robert, the haunted doll movie that Buzzed On Movies made us watch when we did a collaboration with them. So there are our... Entries into the Hall of Fame and Hall of Shame in the show's history. We did it, Brian. You covered covered the full spectrum. (laughs) It reminds me of that meme. Uh, These two books contain the entirety of human knowledge. And one of them is what I learned at business school at Harvard. And the other one is what they don't teach you at business school at Harvard or something like that. (laughs) It's, It's like Ernest goes to the beach and Ernest doesn't go to the beach. It's (laughs) It's <laughs> it's humanity. 
On the subject, though, of watching favorite movies on your birthday, the next time we sit down for the podcast, it's going to be right up about my birthday, which is January 20th. And so, to continue the tradition established by Dan in this latest rep where we watched That Thing You Do, I'm going to bring on the film that topped my top 100 movies list, which is Weird Al Yankovic's sole starring vehicle, UHF from 1989. Awesome. So stay tuned for that. If you don't know already, you'll get to hear why I love it so much. Whether, in fact, I consider it a cinematic masterpiece. And we'll riff. We'll have cakes and candles, my brother. I don't know. I saw an Instagram post that said that was a, a cool, hip way to say happy birthday. It's cake and candles, my brother. Cakes and candles. Okay. I can dig that. <laughs> it sounds like something they would make fun of on my brother and my brother and me. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, cakes and candles. Well, let's do it. Thanks, Brian, once again. Thanks for not only spending a, a couple hours with me tonight and not only looking back on the past year, but for over three years of talking about movies. It's been one of the great pleasures and joys of my life and to you the audience for being here with us and and connecting with us and and just being a connection out in the world that is here in the things we're saying and come find us come tell us what the pod means to you or what it doesn't mean to you or why we're idiots or why we're savants that's on the goodsfilmpodcast.com we'd love to hear from more and more of you you can join our discord there you can send us a note Right back at you, Dan. It's been three meaningful years. Gotten to talk about a lot of movies that I love and experience ones I've never seen before. Thanks for being part of the conversation, listeners. And please let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you would like to like and experience with us. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.